We've been talking the last several weeks about the favor factor that grace is free, favor is earned. And we want to recognize how that all happens. We, we recognize our dependence upon God. We have a right relationship with God. When we recognize that he is the one who does everything for us. And we need him and we walk in humility with him. We recognize God's ownership that he owns everything that we have. We take nothing with us. It's all his. And we are stewards of what is his. And last week we talked about the law of the harvest. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to get online and to listen to it. Because today we want to talk about why the harvest fails. Why sometimes we think we followed all the laws of the harvest. And yet the harvest fails. Let's stand again. Let's open our Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5, excuse me. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And we do want to consider our ways. I pray you just help us to clearly communicate this truth today. And Lord, let it penetrate into our hearts let's examine and consider our ways wisely let us see what the harvest is behind us let us see clearly father whether we're having the harvest that we should have in our life and then let us consider the ways of our life so we can have the harvest you would have us to have touch us today encourage us today in Jesus name amen say hello to a bunch of people around you and then you can be seated Up until I was about five years old, we lived about 15, 20 miles south of this location in, uh, in Pawnee, Illinois. My dad was a, a pastor in Pawnee, and in our backyard, my dad had, I don't know, three or four vines of grapes that he grew. My dad loved grapes. I loved grapes, and my dad had planted them and would tend to those grapes, and when grapes begin to develop uh, as they first start there's just a little nub there that comes out just a little little nub 
Now, I don't remember this story, uh, but I, I heard about it the rest of my life. My dad would remind me of it from time to time. I, I, one spring day, I had been out in the backyard, and I came into the house with a little bucket I'd found someplace. And I went to my dad, and I said, look what I did, Dad. I picked all the seeds. In my bucket were dozens and dozens and dozens of developing grapes. And for the most part, the harvest had been ruined. My dad had planted rightly. My dad had tended to the garden rightly. What he hadn't planned on is his son going out and picking the harvest early. <laughs> and the harvest being destroyed. Sometimes we wonder why something isn't working. Why is the harvest failing? Why am I not getting the results that God promised? And we ask God almost with a little anger in our voice, where are you and what's the deal? Have you ever felt like uh, the passage we read today? That you've sown much, <clears throat> but harvested little. That there's never that feeling of satisfaction and you never seem to feel the security and have the security that Scripture says that we should have and that what you do build seems to, in a second, get blown away. The law of the harvest says you plant. You plant what you want to harvest. You plant to the measure that you want to harvest. And in due season, you will harvest. And yet in this scripture, we find a time when that wasn't happening. And Haggai's response to them was very, very simple. If you're not getting the harvest you planted for, <clears throat> excuse me, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Even if you plant, you can't pick the fruit before it's time or you destroy it. Even if you plant, you have to take care of the garden. Every year, at certain times of the year, we'll hear, you may hear an, uh, an appeal or a, a voice of concern coming across the television set that down in Florida, the the orange groves are just at a key point and they're scared and they're worried about the frost that's coming because they know it can destroy the harvest. They've done right things, they prepared right ways, but wrong things can destroy the harvest. We, we know in this part of the world that the timing for the rain and the amount of rain that comes and, and, and all of these things work together to affect the outcome of the, crop, of the crop. And so we need to understand that there are things outside of the planting that impact the harvest itself. And in the spiritual realm, it has to do with our ways, and we need to consider our ways. Last week, we talked about just two of the seeds that we need to plant if we're going to develop uh, the crop. And each one of these has a, is a unique seed that develops a unique crop. 
Last week we talked about Romans 10, 17 that said, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this aspect that if I want the law, the harvest to work in my life and I want to be a person of faith, that I need to plant the word of God in my life. This is why we encourage you to read the word to be faithful in times, to talk about them. That's why we have C2 groups where you can talk about what we've been preaching and teaching on and how to practically apply it to your life, how to bring it into your life so that the crop gets planted rightly, the seed is planted rightly, and you can begin to reap a harvest from that seed. If I want my children to grow in faith, if I want them to be a people of faith, I need to plant the Word of God in their life. I need to teach them the Word of God and put them in places where they know the Word of God and are taught the Word of God. For the seed is the Word of God, the harvest is faith. However, the harvest fails when we destroy the fields. If you go out in your backyard and you plant a nice garden, you, you till up the ground and get the seed in the ground and then every day you go out there and walk on it, stomp on it, maybe dig up the seed and say, why isn't it growing yet? And look at it and put it back in and cover it back up. You're not going to get much of a harvest. You're going to destroy the harvest before it grows. So how do I destroy the harvest of faith? Listen to what it says in Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently on that my ways will be maybe oh that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments see the favor does not come in the knowing the favor comes in the doing I don't get the harvest of the word simply because I know it. I get the harvest of the word because I do it. Because I walk in it. It talks right here. Who walk in the way of the Lord. So the, the whole concept of learning something in church, of reading the word and knowing the word, is not so that I can be better at Bible trivia. It's so I can know how to live my life. So I can walk in the precepts of the Lord. The favor, the harvest comes to those who walk in the law of the Lord, who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong. These are the ones who find his blessings. When I ignore his word, I don't put it to work, I just know it, but I cut it off from my actions. When I don't try to please him, when I go ahead and live life my own way instead of living life 
even if I know his word by what his word says, if I make excuses why his word doesn't apply to me in this second set of circumstances, I am picking the grapes off the vine. And the harvest I expect to get, I'm not going to get because I've destroyed the harvest. Faith in our children. We want to plant the word deeply in our life. But hypocrisy destroys it. When I tell them one thing, point them one thing, come to church and act one way and go home and act another, I destroy the harvest. You know, I'll tell you, I've, I've been around this thing for a while now. And I've seen people that before they were saved were angry, angry people. And after they got saved, they were angry people with a biblical cause. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Controlling people. They were controlling before they got saved. Now, now, that, now they control with Scripture. Their heart really wasn't changed. They just added a new tool to their arsenal. And then they wonder why they don't get the fruit of the harvest. The fruit of the harvest in me is to be transformational in me. When our values are wrong, even when we're trying to plant the harvest, plant for a harvest in our children's lives, my wrong values rip the harvest up. When we don't follow the word and we're trying to plant the word in our children's lives, we are ripping the seeds off of the vine. When we are full of rebellion while we're pointing our children to the word, we're going to still reap a harvest of rebellion. When we don't honor those we should honor, we are planting weeds in the garden. When we let the enemy in to influence our children's lives, the harvest can be destroyed. I think this is one of the, the biggest things I, mom and dad I would point to. Listen to what 1 Peter 5.8 says. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Pay attention. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There are those that the enemy uses to devour the harvest before the harvest grows. There are pests that want to get in to the harvest and eat the harvest before it grows. And the enemy is looking in our lives, the enemy is looking in, even into our children's lives as the ways to get that pest into their lives. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And you've got to be careful. You've got to be watchful. Listen to how Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Listen, the devil's not going to come up to you and say, Hi. I, I am an instrument of the devil. I am an angel of darkness being used by Satan himself, and I'm, you're going to put your child in my care, and I'm going to devour him. 
That's not what the enemy's going to do. That's why we have to be watchful. Who do we let influence our life? What do we want to have speak into our life? What do we want to have speak into their life? He goes on to say, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. He says they're, they're, in, they're going to be judged for what they do. But be careful, be watchful, because the enemy comes to bring destruction into their lives. So, so let, me, let me speak to all you parents with kids here today. I just dropped my last one off at college this week. According to the Higher Education Research Institute, their, their, their large-scale longitudinal study says this. And think about this. 93% of Christian students who attend a religious college report retaining their faith commitments and church attendance, 93%, compared to 43% who attend a secular college. Do you see those numbers? You take this average kid coming out of your average church, you send him to a Christian school, a Christian university, 93% of them retain their faith. You send that same kid, the same kids to a secular university, 43% of them retain their faith. Now, what does that tell us? Never send them to the secular university? No, it tells them they better really be prepared. You better really have them ready. You better really make sure that the foundation is strong because there's some reason there's that difference. There's a, something's going on in there where the harvest is being destroyed. Mom and dad, in all ways, who we let influence our children matter. This is why Renee and I, for the past several years, have tried to meet with every graduating high school senior in our church and just sit down with them and talk to them, hear their plans, hear where they're going, hear what they're going to do, and talk to them about how to go in, if they're going into a secular university, how they can go in there and not fall victim to these statistics. What they can do to make sure they land in places that will keep their faith and they'll be part of the 43% that last instead of the almost 50% more that don't. We have to be aware that when we send our children out, wherever we're sending them out to, that there's angels of righteousness, angels of darkness masquerading as angels of righteousness that will become, become an influence in our children's lives that can become literally a destroyer of our harvest. And if we're naive about that, we miss fully protecting our children. And then we wonder, why are my children not as committed to faith as I should be, as I wish they would be? They're key questions about culture and what we believe and what the world believes. You need to understand and understand who's teaching your children what and what they're saying to them. And so this is a key issue for us to understand that the influence that comes into their life can make a difference in the outcome. Here's the call. If you want the fruit, you've got to consider your ways. Now let's go on to the second one. Remember the law of the harvest of, about seed and measure. 
And we talked last week, we talked about Malachi. And in Malachi chapter uh, 3, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. And I've, I've heard people say, when you talk about tithe and offering, all oh, that's an Old Testament thing. You know, Jesus did change some things in, from the Old Testament. This isn't one of them. Jesus had every chance to change this one. And he didn't. When Jesus was even approached about the temple tax and, and whether they should pay money to Caesar or whether they should pay it to them, Jesus' response was, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And he didn't stop there, did he? And unto God that which is God's. And every good Jewish man and woman knew clearly what belonged to God. Jesus wasn't taking anything away from any of that. Any of that. He goes on and says, So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So he's accusing them of not keeping the very decrees of God. And that because of that, God's withdrawn, and they've not received the, received the blessing of God. He goes, the word goes on to say, but you ask, how are we to return? The prophet asked, will you rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? He says, in tithes and offering. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you. Now think about this, friends. Modern day studies tell us today that in churches across America, less than 5% of believers actually tithe. In Pentecostal Protestant churches, that number goes up to, you know, 30, 20, 30 percent. But not Pentecostal churches. But even if you think 20, 30 percent, that's still kind of pitiful. Could this be the reason the fruit and the power of the church is weak? We're calling out to God. God you say to us, if we pray and humble ourselves and repent, that you'll heal our land. Could this be one of the places we need to repent? Could this possibly be one of the places where we need to sit and say, wait a second, God's given me a decree and I'm ignoring it. I'm not paying attention to it. Let alone for the harvest's sake. Just for the harvest of God's blessing and our nation's sake. He goes on, because you are robbing me, he says, we're under a curse because you're robbing. Then verse 10 he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. What is that? The ability to care for those in need, whether it's spiritual need, physical need. The church has the ability through that investment to care for those in need. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That's a great promise of fruit, isn't it? This is a call for first fruits. For us, generally, that's money. We're generally. Now, we, we have some farmers, actually, who give us crops every year. They go put them in a bin and give us some paperwork for them, and we actually have the crops, and then they call us and say, sell them, because they know when to sell them better than we do. 
But whatever that is, what are you doing in obedience to God? This is lifeblood giving because what we're giving is what we've used our life to, to earn. We've given our life and our time and the effort and now we give our life in return to say, let's meet the needs of others. Now understanding this, the harvest here may be in money, but first fruit seeds has the ability to produce many kinds of fruits. There are things, we all talk about this there are things money can't buy. There's nothing God's blessing can't get you. When I live under the law of the, of the harvest in this issue, God says, says this to us, your land will be a delightful land. It'll be a delightful land. Your vines will not cast their fruit. That's our kids, folks. The fruit that you put in them isn't going to be cast aside. It's a, it's a the, the harvest is going to continue to grow in them because you've walked in obedience to God. Sometimes our fruit doesn't develop because we're, we're not doing the thing to tend to the fruit that we're supposed to be tending to. And the, Oh, you say, I planted the seed. Yeah, but you went out and walked all over the garden all summer long. You walked out there and didn't pay attention to it. You didn't care for it or tend it. And now you're out there and it's time for the harvest. You're going, where are my tomatoes? Well, yesterday you were standing on them. Are you with me today? There's a reason the harvest fails. And that's what, Ma that's what Haggai is trying to say to us. That's what he's trying to let us understand. Now listen, if you want to really get a hold of this, especially in this issue of money, if you're having a money problem, as we begin to read through the book of Proverbs in the next few weeks, Highlight every verse in there that deals with money. The, 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 the guy who writes the Proverbs talks about money and how we get money and how, how we become successful over and over again. And if you break all of those laws, but you're planting the seeds, even if you come and you tithe, but you keep, you keep breaking all the laws, you're stomping on the harvest. You're picking the seeds off the vine. Don't pick the seeds off the vine. Wait for the seed to develop. Anybody want to say amen to this? Amen. Haggai gives us another reason for the failed harvest. This story is a story from the exile. If you know the history of the Jewish people, they, they were delivered from, they were sent into Egypt. They developed into a great land. They were delivered from Egypt. Uh, they went, they wandered in the desert, they failed to go in the promised land, they wander in the, in, the, in the desert. Next generation goes into the promised land. They begin to develop this land. There's all kinds of things that happen. They, they develop into this nation. David is king, and then Solomon king, is king, and Solomon breaks the law of the Lord. He marries a, a bunch of, uh, instead of keeping to one wife, as the law has told him, he's, he marries a bunch of wives who bring their gods into he marries them for the sake of treaties, brings them into Israel. And as, as his children grow, they, they, are not, they don't honor God. They honor many of these. And before long, it's just, a, it's just a mess. It's a huge mess. And the judgment of God is coming. And God sends prophets and he warns them and he warns them and sends pieces of judgment here or there and he warns them and he warns them. And finally, he says, that's it. You know, I'm... I'm I'm giving you over to an enemy. And he gives them over to an enemy, two different 
you know, Judah and Israel at different times given over, dragged off into exile for 70 years. And in those 70 years, the prophecy of God begins to come to them. They, 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 they come back to build, rebuild the wall. And he sends guys back. They get a call in their heart to go back and rebuild the temple. And they come back and they begin the process. They get about, they get the foundation, but they come up against some resistance. It gets to be hard, which is, listen to me, friend. Everything you do for God's going to be hard because the enemy's going to send resistance. Everything's going to be hard. He's got to keep waiting on God and trusting God. But now 16 years have gone by. And weeds are growing up around the foundations they've tried to rebuild. They've gone out and built their homes and they've, they've established their lives. And as you read that first chapter, they're living in pretty nice places for their day and their time. And Haggai comes on the scene and goes, you're having troubles, aren't you? And they were having troubles. You plant, but you don't harvest. What you do, it gets washed away. He says, consider your ways. And he talks to them about the fact that they're giving attention to their lives. And they've stopped giving attention to the temple. Now, I've heard a lot of people take this scripture and twist it and use it and say, see, we've got to build new churches. This scripture isn't about building new churches. This church isn't a temple. You understand that, don't you? You're the temple. Once Jesus died on the cross, he doesn't dwell in the temple anymore. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. His spirit's supposed to be alive in you and me. This is the place that God dwells. Where does he dwell today? With us. Today, we can become experts in all kinds of things. People become experts at their work. They become experts about sports. You can talk to some guys and they'll know everything about their baseball team or the fantasy football team or whatever. They, they, boy, they can spend hours and hours and hours studying that. I sat at a table this last, this last week, took my son to school, sat at a table with him and my other daughter who's there and her boyfriend and Taylor was there and they're talking about Pokemon. I, I don't want to ask how many are into Pokemon. If you want to see something fascinating, go drive through Washington Park and watch all the people going around like this with their, their fun. And they start talking and they are talking a language. That I had an abs- I'm just sitting there going, what language are you talking? They're ex- you know, they, they become experts in these. So we become experts in all of this stuff. And we don't know the word of God. The word of God is neglected in us. We're not serious about reading his word and knowing how his word relates to our culture. Just reading, just reading on Facebook, I... I even about this upcoming list, I hear people say things that are so far from biblical truth and biblical foundation. Oh, whatever. Here's the one that drives me crazy. You know, whatever God wants is going to happen. Really? Really? Whatever God wants is going to happen? So there's, everything that happens in our life is because God foreordained it. If I stub my toe, if I, get in a car, whatever happens. 
No, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And fallen things happen. Fallen things take place. And we need to be careful what our decisions are. I mean, I could, I could, I could spend a lot of time there. I'm going to avoid that. We'll, we'll kind of come, we're going to talk about the will of God in a couple weeks on a Sunday night. But we, Here's my point. We continue to live in ways that simply re, are simply a reflection of sin, and some people don't know it. Then we wonder why we don't have spiritual fruit that we should have. You want to have spiritual fruit in your life? Build the temple. Build the temple. Grow in your knowledge of God's word. Grow in your walk in God's presence. Become aware every day of your need for him and walk in humility before him. Become aware of the fact that he owns all things and we are stewards of them. Become aware that his word is a light unto our path and we should read it and know it and let it enlighten our path. Care for the temple. Become spiritually formed, spiritually developed, and you will have spiritual fruit come into your life. But when we neglect the temple and weeds grow up in the temple where we're taking care of all of our interests and all of our other stuff, we miss what God would have in our life. Okay, have I been clear today? You're all looking at me like... Father, in Jesus' name, I want to say, Father, my prayer, you know my prayer, my prayer for my friends here today, for all of us, is that we would bear the fruit in our life that you'd have us to bear. And Lord, we need, to, we need to give careful consideration to our ways. Even when we're planting, first of all, we need to plant the right seed. We need to understand, what, what do I need to plant to get what you'd have for me to have. And we, under, we, we learn that from your word. We learn faith and how to do things in faith from your word. But then, Lord, we also know we have to tend to the garden. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, you'd help us to wisely tend the garden. By your word and by your direction, let us be cautious and careful and tend wisely to the garden. And Lord, today, right now in these few moments, if there's some place in our life where we're not planting seed and we should be, speak to us. Father, if there's some place in our life where we are planting seed, but, we're, but, but Father, it feels like it's in, in, we put it in bags with holes in it and it gets swept away. Then today, let us consider our ways give more full attention to your word and what your word says about that area of our life and let us wisely begin to bring the correction and tend to our garden in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand together today prayer teams when you come down to the front listen you may be planting the seed and you're not getting the harvest yet remember harvest comes in due season but also remember, you got to make sure you're tending the garden right. You may want to have somebody just pray with you about that. 
this is the harvest I'm wanting. I'm not getting there yet. I just want God to give me wisdom and make sure I'm tending my garden right. Maybe you're going through a physical need. Come with somebody pray for it. Maybe you're going through a big decision time. If there's anything going on in your life that you want somebody to pray with you about, that's what we're here for today. But especially, if you want eternal life, there's only one seed that can be planted. You will not get there other ways. You will not get there through other religions. You'll not get there through other faiths. We're not all working our way to the same end. There's only one way for eternal life, and that's through the living seed of Jesus Christ being planted in your spirit. It's you surrendering your heart to Christ. It's why our message is so important. It's why we must proclaim it loudly, and it's why you must hear it personally today. One hope, Jesus Christ. And while others are coming, you just come down and just say, I'm not sure that seed's been planted in me. I want to surrender my life to Christ today. They'll pray a very simple prayer for you. Listen, the work's been done. Grace is free. You just have to receive the gift. Let somebody pray with you today. So we worship. You come and let someone pray with you today. God bless you.